Hello and welcome to the podcast for the August 2010 issue of The Lancet Infectious Diseases. I'm Richard Lane and this is the first podcast that makes reference to original research that is in The Lancet Infectious Diseases. Because as discussed in a Lancet podcast a couple of weeks ago, TLID have now made the move into original research. And in a few minutes time, we'll hear TLID's editor, John McConnell, explaining a bit more about the move. Let's go straight to the details of a research article. Professor Didier Raoult is one of the world's leading experts in Q fever endocarditis. This concerns a potent pathogen that infects the lining of the heart valve. The clinical issue in question is how long antibiotic treatment should be for people who are diagnosed with Q fever endocarditis. Earlier I spoke to him on the line at the University Medical School, University of La Méditerranée, in Marseille, in France. Q fever endocarditis is probably much more uh, common than that uh, is uh, suspected. So, so the disease is so difficult to diagnose that it's only when you uh, looking for that prospectively and intensively that you get an opinion, an idea of how common it is. And depending on the strategies that you're uh, having in different countries, the prevalence appears very different. But you may not remember, but the, the biggest series uh, in the 80s was appearing in UK. It was reported by the health systems that in the years they get something like 90 cases of chronic Q fever in UK. When it was followed and looked for. And then in France, we're looking at that very terrifically, but in, in Spain and Israel, they get a lot also. And now they get a lot in, in Netherlands with the outbreak currently burning. Yes. Can you just comment on that Dutch outbreak, where, where we are with that? It seems that this year it's more calm. In the three past years, have been really burning with thousands of cases. And some of these, including chronic infection, specifically of vascular aneurysm and prosthesis, which is very, very uh, dangerous and several deaths. Probably the intensity of the outbreak is related both to uh, the emerging, uh, an emerging outbreak and more attention paid to the uh, disease and that shows that it, it is in this place now very, very common. And just before we discuss the current study published in the August issue of TLID, can you just give us a little more information about the mode of action of this bacterial infection and how it actually causes damage in the heart tissues that leads to endocarditis and, and possibly death? It is very different of the other cause of endocarditis because in spite of living extracellularly in the fibrin, in the clot, it's living within uh, macrophage which are sticking to the valve. And one of the most difficult issues in diagnosing this disease is that because in only 20 or 25 percent of cases you get a vegetation that you can see at the echocardiography because there is a fibrin clot. But in many cases, there is just uh, the, the valve is just a little thicker because there is an accumulation of macrophage and you cannot see that on the echocardiography. So it's a very difficult, it's a chronic infection uh, with low-grade fever or no fever, uh, slowly progressing on months or years without vegetation. And then it's, you, you commonly miss the clue to getting the diagnosis of endocarditis and testing uh, causes of blood culture negative endocarditis. Obviously a key issue and the key clinical issue which your paper is about is finding an optimum way of treating this infectious disease. Tell us about the background to your study then. The main thing is that when I, I did start, my, I think my first series was uh, 
23 or 25 years ago reporting 15 cases of uh, endocarditis with Q fever, and uh, two-thirds of them were died, uh, died uh, within the three years of the diagnostic. So the main thing is that I was terrified by this diagnosis and this disease. Then I decided to get a very long and very heavy treatment to, to treat this patient. And we start to give them doxycycline for years. And what we've seen is that when you stop doxycycline, they start to relapse. And then we design a new protocol associating doxycycline plus hydroxychloroquine and, and, and start to look how long should we treat this patient. What's happened is that if the patient are the patient are completely unable to to eradicate any bacteria so if you want to cure this patient you have to kill 100% of all the bacteria like in chronic and relapsing disease in general like in leprosy for example and then we start to go on very long treatment and empirically we try to find what is the good duration of the treatment but this was difficult and in this work, what we have done is that by collecting all the data that I have since the very beginning with all the culture of the valve and all the PCR on the valve that we have done and the follow-up of the patient for years, there are patients that have, um, are not treated anymore since 15 years that come and see me every year just to see if they are not relapsing, if they are going well, because this disease has frightened me so, so much. So now we can say, well, we know with one exception, very special cases, we know how long we should treat this patient and uh, we should treat them for one year and a half if I get a native valve and two years if I get a, a prosthetic valve. And now this is based really on uh, analysis of all the cases that we have all the time. But it takes a long time before we can decide this because we need to get a lot of cases followed, you know, really with a real follow-up of the compliance, uh, the dosage of the uh, compound, and uh, a regular sampling, and so on. So it's a very long study. It did take a very long time before we can change the duration of the treatment that we recommend for these patients. The main problem with this treatment is uh, photosensitization, which is, you know, they really get sunburned. So when they come and see me, I'm giving them uh, papers explaining exactly their disease, the problems that they may have, and I explain that very carefully and take a long time to, to tell them oh they should avoid any exposition to the sun, specifically in my area. Despite this, usually the first summer they become, uh, you know, some, they, they get some sunburn, specifically on the face and, and the hands. Uh, but after a while, they, they learn how to manage the sun. But the, the, even when you, you really explain how to be protected with this, Many of these will experience some sunburn. It's not very dangerous, but it is uh, painful, so they need to be careful about this. And one of the problems that investigators have in other places is that many of these, they want to stop the treatment because the patient has sunburn and say, well, it's intolerance. But before you start the treatment, you need to know that this is going to be a problem, explain that to the patient, explain that there is no alternative issues that have been demonstrated to be efficient. So the, the main problem is this. Final questions. The results from this study you believe are now sufficient and to change, um, alter clinical guidelines or to clarify clinical guidelines now for Q fever endocarditis? Oh, oh yes, this is what we're going to do. Now we're going to change our recommendation based on this and say, well, uh, so we're going to shorten the treatment and uh, we're going to modify the guidelines of the treatment for cure fever endocolitis. Going back to the very beginning, whilst treatment obviously is 
uh, optimum, that's what we've been discussing now, an optimum time frame treatment period. We should also stress that early detection is crucial, isn't it? Yes, it, it is, of course. And it is very important because we have demonstrated in a few years ago that if you compare, when we compared the first series that I've published, in a, I think it was in 87, the series that we've published 20 years after, we find that the, the, the clinical presentation was different because the, the delay in diagnostic was much shorter now that we know the disease. The outcome is also much better because if we detect that earlier in the disease, you, you of course, you, the, the valve is in much better state and then the, the prognosis is much better. Indeed. Well, it's a fascinating study and a very important study as well. Professor Didier Raoult on the line from Marseille in France. Many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet Infectious Diseases. Thank you for publishing that. I'm very proud to get one of the first original paper published in The Lancet Infectious Disease. And why now the move for TLID into original research? Here is TLID's editor, John McConnell. We decided towards the end of last year that it was time that the Lancet Infectious Diseases began to publish original research. The two other specialty journals, Oncology and Neurology, having been doing that for for some time. So we've been working towards that for the past six months or so. John, we've just heard from Didier Raoult about fever endocarditis. Can you just briefly mention the other two research articles in the August issue? Well, we start off with a cohort study of pandemic H1N1 flu in uh, solid organ transplant recipients. I suppose the take-home message from that is that it, it appears to manifest as a more severe disease than it does in otherwise healthy people, and that early intervention with antiretrovirals is, is important in limiting the severity of the disease. And the second paper is about uh, sewerage as an intervention to reduce diarrheal disease, and that's a meta-analysis looking at all the various studies that have been done into the subject, concluding that installing good sewerage systems is a, is a fairly effective intervention, but also saying that some more short-term and, shall we say, quick gains, that, like in installing on-site latrines, may also be effective. I guess one question that often emerges when there are new developments like this, are we somehow diluting the overall effect say within the Lancet. We have the Lancet Weekly Journal, which regularly publishes high-quality peer-reviewed research in the area of infectious diseases. What does TLID, moving into its own original research program, mean for the overall output? Well, this is, of course, is a question that has has come up before and certainly arose with neurology and oncology when they started to publish original research. I think what it actually means is that uh, otherwise very high-quality research papers, which might be rejected by The Lancet because of the diversity of topics which The Lancet has to publish, will now find a home in Lancet infectious diseases. The 